It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode will contain discussions of sexual abuse and the murder of two young girls. So today on the murder sheet, we're going to be going off script. Um, I'm sure for most people following the Delphi murders case, you're aware that there's been some recent developments. And we're going to talk about that and some of the reporting that we've done so far around those developments. And we're going to be speaking off the cuff and hopefully getting you some good information about, you know, what is potentially going on and perhaps some things that may not be going on. And just as a bit of a preview, some of the things we will be talking about today involve a recent helicopter trip that a member of the Indiana State Police made to Peru, uh, a location that Kagan Klein was taken to while he was in the custody of the Indiana State Police, 
And we're also beginning a little bit into the story that Kagan Klein told police about what happened on the day of the Delphi murders. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're the murder sheet, and this is... The Delphi Murders, September Updates. So let's begin by talking about the topic that seems to be on the forefront of many people's minds this week. Namely, that on Monday, September 19th, a helicopter belonging to the Indiana State Police made the journey from the airport in Greenwood, Indiana, to a location near Peru, Indiana, where, as we all know, a search is going on. Anya, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, let's go over just the straight timing details. So the flight uh, originated in Greenwood, as Kevin said, but then touched down in Indianapolis uh, right next door. So it takes off from there at 1.04 p.m. Eastern Time and lands in Peru at 1.27 p.m. Then there's a gap. Then the helicopter departs from Peru at 3.31 p.m. and lands back in Indianapolis at 3.56 p.m. So that gives us about, I want to say like an hour and a half uh, of, of time in Peru, you know, factoring a little bit of travel time from to and from the airport, I guess. And let's get right to it. We have been able to confirm through our reporting, through multiple sources, that the passenger on that helicopter was superintendent of the Indiana State Police, Doug Carter. Yes. And this is probably for people who listen to the show, you know, frequently. This is probably a pretty uh, interesting detail because you'll recall that in uh, in a previous episode, we broke uh, news on Doug Carter's July trip up to Peru, which we revealed actually dealt specifically with Kegging Klein's case and how it pertains possibly to the Delphi murders. But in this case, it's in a little bit case, different. Yes, in this case, I think most of the people listening to this, certainly us, we tend to look at things through the prism of the Delphi murders. And we tend to assume that things that happen must be related to the Delphi case especially since we know that there is a river search going on in Peru, Indiana. 
the problem is that when we started talking to sources, and I'll be clear that the sources we were talking to were people close to the investigation. We were talking with people who you would expect to have had advanced knowledge of Carter's trip if it pertained to Delphi. We were talking to people who you would expect to be fully aware of it. And these sources that we talked to did not have any information about the trip or why it was made. One thing to remember is that the superintendent of the Indiana State Police, Doug Carter, has responsibilities for many, many cases other than Delphi. And in fact, it is easy to find other cases going on that might take him to Peru. And I believe, Anya, you have some information about one such case. And to be clear, we're not saying this case that Anya is going to talk about is why he went to Peru, but it is a possible reason why he went. Y- yes, to put it simply, the his this, the current trip as it stands, as far as our reporting, is a black box. We don't know what was discussed or what happened, and we don't have any sources who can tell us. And so I, I literally just Googled state police Peru, and this is the first thing that came up that was recent enough to, to seem like it might warrant uh, the superintendent's involvement or at least some sort of discussion. So guesswork on our part. Speculation. Speculation. But it's just to give you an example. Um, there is a state trooper who is facing currently battery charges. His name is Michael Miser. Uh, he was out of the Peru post up in Indiana. He is, uh, he's charged with uh, assaulting a female co-worker. So very upsetting situation, I imagine, for, you know, for that to be happening and a a very serious case as well. So I think it's important for everybody who does follow Delphi to remember that while that is a very important case and is getting a lot of attention and a lot of resources, that they're also we always have to leave room for possibility if we don't know what's happening, that perhaps it's actually a coincidence. And in this case, it sort of sounds like the chopper trip may have been. I've seen speculation online that this chopper trip somehow indicates that there was a major discovery during the search and that it's tremendously significant to the case, the Delphi case. And we can say pretty definitively that that is not the case. That is not why the chopper trip happened. Yeah. And, you know, I wish that was why it happened. I think we all, you know, everyone who covers this closely really does wish for answers and for the families of Libby and Abby and all their friends and loved ones to get answers as soon as possible. But we also are not going to, if we're not, that's not what we're hearing. We're not going to just assume that something is related when we're kind of hearing things that make us think that it's probably not. And again, we talked to multiple sources close to the investigation who we would have expected to know about a trip if it was related to Delphi. And they knew nothing about it. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, There's been a lot of speculation about what exactly was going on when the Indiana State Police first took custody of Kagan Klein. Yes. And we can say that we know at least one development that happened, what we believe, when he was in ISP custody. And that was that he was moved at some point to the the Grissom Air Base. So for those of you who are not from that part of Indiana, the Grissom Air Reserve Base is a U.S. Air Force base. 
It's situated about 12 miles north of Kokomo, which itself is about 30 minutes to the south of Peru. So this is this is all kind of the same area. It's, it's not it's not very far away. When you when whenever we drive up to Peru from Indianapolis, where we are, we always go past a bunch of signs, and then we inevitably have a have a discussion about the Apollo program because I was very interested in astronauts at some point in my life. Why? I think now at this point you need to explain who Grissom is. Okay, Gus Grissom was an astronaut. He was a pioneer of the Mercury program, I believe, and he was tragically killed in a uh, disaster that happened um, with Apollo 1, essentially. Uh, He and two other astronauts. Very tragic story, but he is a a celebrated Hoosier in history, and uh, there's a lot of stuff named for him in the state, especially around there. So that's the Air Force Base. Now, we have a source telling us that um, Kagan Klein was brought into this base, and it was... We've been able to confirm that. Which we've confirmed, and, and, and there's a... There was, you know, it wasn't just him. It was a bit of a hullabaloo, it sounds like. A bit of a contingent coming in with him of different law enforcement folks. So. Can you elaborate on that? Basically, people from different agencies is how it was described to us. So not not just like a kind of a quiet, let's just drive in situation, but a, uh, you know, a number of people. So we found that somewhat interesting because, you know, sort of speaks to trying to move a, a person who has some possible information that you want to get to somewhere that maybe is going to be more private and maybe allow for more of a conversation. Yeah, I, w- I would think that a military base would be a more secure location than uh, a jail or even an Indiana State police post. I would think if you took Kagan Klein to somewhere like that, like the Indiana State police post, a lot of people are going to notice, a lot of people are going to pay attention. But I believe that if you take him to somewhere like the Grissom base, you assume that that's not going to get out and people aren't going to know about it. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's R-O dot C-O slash msheet. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And I guess that kind of leads to one thing people have been wondering is, Kagan Klein obviously has been talking to the police. He's obviously given them some information, and I guess we can all speculate that that information he gave them has somehow led to this search, this ongoing multi-week search of the Wabash River. And so the question is, well, what exactly has Kagan Klein told police? We do have a little bit of information we feel comfortable sharing at this date about what he has told police. But before we share that, I feel it is really important to stress something. And this is something I believe everyone listening already knows. And that is that Kagan Klein has a tendency to lie. Kagan Klein has a tendency to try to spin things in his own self-interest. That doesn't mean that what he told police is a lie. It could be true, but I think it's important to be skeptical about what he said. He's not a person whose word in and of itself means a great deal. Yes, I think that's really important. And I think, you know, we have this ourselves. And I think a lot of our listeners have this where you're able to have, you know, a nuanced thought process around the information you're receiving because, you know, it's it's complicated. This whole case is complicated. And, uh, you know, I will say, I mean, this man, to reiterate, has one of the most fraudulent work histories I've ever seen. This man's claiming, oh, I, I was a weed delivery driver. I was a, I was a, you know, I, I, I was a bail bondsman in Vegas. I was a dealer at Vegas. And, you know, we reached out to all these companies that he was claiming to work for. None of them ever heard of him. They have no, you know, he just makes stuff up. So let's just. That, that's important to distress. Yeah. What he told police, it could be completely true. It could be a complete fabrication. It could be complete BS. Or it could literally be anywhere in between. It could be one of those things where there's some truth in it, but he's kind of changing things around to try to minimize his own culpability. We just don't know. But we can share one, a couple of details of what he told police. So in a nutshell, that while a different other person was committing the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, that Kagan Klein himself was waiting in a red Jeep vehicle. And the interesting thing is, if you get on Facebook, 
and you look up Tony Klein's Facebook account and you go through some of the pictures, you will see some older pictures of uh, a red Jeep. And that in and of itself is interesting, but let's play devil's advocate. Obviously, Kegan Klein knew what vehicles his father was in possession of. So the simple fact that there's a red Jeep in the story that he tells, and there's also images of a red Jeep in the social media, that in and of itself is not conclusive. Right. If I'm known for owning a blue minivan, then, you know, people can say, well, I was... You know, you can insert that into into a case if you want, if you want to lie. So we think it's interesting that that's what uh, he's saying. But we are we are marking that as a as a Kagan statement, not as a fact in and of itself for obvious reasons, as I'm sure everyone will appreciate and, and sort of understand. But it gets to maybe some of what has been going on and what what may be driving some of the activity in this case right now. Yeah, and it gets to a problem that law enforcement has, which is Kagan Klein's a liar. Whatever he tells you, you can't believe unless you're able to verify it. So if Kagan Klein says John Doe committed the murders, that's not enough. You need to find some sort of evidence that conclusively proves that this is one of those rare occasions when Cake and Klein is telling the truth. You know, so so we so we just all we add all that context to just, you know, stress to people that this is a case that there's not there's not a lot of easy answers, unfortunately. You know, I mean we're we're in year five now, still unsolved. We want to report to you about what's going on and give you as a clear a glimpse behind the scenes as possible. But at the end of the day, that only gets us so far. We can get you what's being said and, and sort of what, what is going on to a certain extent. But, you know, I think there's no easy narrative here. There's no easy um, putting it all together for you in a nice little bow right now. Because it's just, it has not been adjudicated yet. So there's going to be a bunch of missing pieces no matter what. You know, no matter how much we dig. I, that's just that is that is the truth about this case uh, that that there's just a lot of unknowns at this point and we're definitely working hard to try to fill them in as best we can to to you know do our due diligence and, and do responsible journalism here but there is a limit of, of how much you can get at once and I think sometimes people are are you know curious and they delve into it and they read everything and they're just like I have more questions now than I did even at the start of this and we you know we definitely hear that cuz I we certainly do For you Kevin you know in in addition to corroborating evidence when you have a when you have a really unreliable let's say witness what else can be done to I mean it's like it's almost like having a shaky table, right? You don't want to rest too much weight on it because it just, you know, collapses. So so you need something else basically. You don't want to file charges. You don't want to make an arrest until you are completely confident that you can prove every element of the charge against the person in court. If you Based something entirely on something Kagan Klein says and maybe some circumstantial evidence, 
and you go into court and the person is acquitted, then, and then subsequently you come across more information that proves that this person is definitely guilty, it's too late. You've lost your one and only chance. And I can tell you that in my judgment, I can tell you that in my judgment from talking to people behind the scenes, the people involved in this investigation care deeply about it and are totally committed to getting justice for Abby and Libby. And obviously you and I and everyone listening to this, and I think even the investigators themselves, would be thrilled if arrests were made you know, last year or two years ago or even tomorrow. But they're all very well aware that if they move too fast, then they might mess things up. And they don't want to mess things up at the end of the day. And there's such, this is such a high-profile case. I mean, this is a case that has gotten international attention. Uh, people around the world are watching and are, and are wondering what's happening. So I think that especially when you know that there is such media scrutiny on, on some level that has got to be weighing on investigators and people behind the scenes. Everything the Indiana State Police does in the investigation of this case, everything that the prosecutors do while trying this case in court is going to be intensely scrutinized. It's going to be scrutinized by you and I. It's going to be scrutinized by everyone listening to this. It's going to be scrutinized on Facebook, on Reddit, on British newspapers, all over the country, all over the world. And so you want to make sure that you have a case that can stand up to that kind of scrutiny. And I believe from what we know, talking to people behind the scenes, that there is confidence that such a case is being built. It doesn't always happen as quickly as we would like. But at the end of the day, what's important is the right person is convicted and sentenced to prison. And it's not so important that maybe it took a little bit longer than we would like if at the end of the day, the right person dies in a prison cell. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I think so many people are rightfully very much like accountability is needed right now. But I think we also understand the flip side of it is this needs to be this needs to be shored up. But I think the balance of that, and this is where press come in and this is where we have tried to come in, is that when a case is taking this long, coverage should be illuminating why and, and trying to get to the bottom of like what is going on to inform the public, because otherwise you just get, frankly, in my view, what becomes an information vacuum where it's just sort of uh a mess. It's a circus. You know, the loudest voices who are screaming and, and, and flinging accusations at, at, at people who, who don't deserve it rise to the top. And, and it's better when actual facts are being presented about here is what is going on. Um, but yeah. And obviously we believe in accountability. We've tried hard to hold the investigators accountable and we want to share as much stuff with you as we can. But we will be candid. There's stuff we have learned that we feel it would be irresponsible for us to share because we want justice too, and we don't want to do anything to compromise that. Yes, there are certain there are certain things that we hope to share in the future, and that we can kind of hopefully get into at a later date. For the most part, it's a it's a it's a calculus that we have to do whenever we get new information about 
okay, how can we responsibly present this? How can we corroborate and verify this information? How can we go about um, putting it out there in a responsible way? And if we feel that the information we have falls apart on any of those measures, then it's something that we either don't report on because we don't trust it, or it's something that we do trust but we don't report on because um, we feel it could su- substantially set the case back potentially. As long as we're talking about information that we're sharing and information that we may not be sharing, I've certainly noticed that there has been a lot of talk where people in social media or people with their own podcasts have been sharing ideas about this potential suspect or that potential suspect and trying to make circumstantial cases arguing that those individuals are actually the guilty parties. And I certainly understand that it can be interesting to speculate about such things. And it could be even a rewarding mental exercise. That's not really what we're interested in doing. No, we're, we're interested in doing investigative journalism, specifically on the investigation. And we sort of assume that you people don't really care that much about what we personally think about who may or may not have done it. We think that what you care about is what do the investigators think? What do the people who are making the decisions about who to arrest or when to arrest, what are they thinking? Who are their suspects? And that's what we focused our attention on. So if some people are talking about this suspect or that suspect, and we're not talking about it on our program is because we're not hearing those names from investigators. Yeah, and if that changes, then then we change our tune because we're hearing something different then and we have something new to report. Okay, there's a pivot. There's a there's a there's a new direction, so to speak. And you know, that's I mean, we're just kind of mostly tied into what's going on. What what are the what are we hearing from from people on the ground? What are we hearing from people with information about some of those leads. And so um, as far as people who came up as suspects early on, that's something that's interesting to Kevin and I, because that is a historical fact of the investigation. We think it's interesting to know if the FBI in March of 2017 thought that Ron Logan might've been involved That's interesting to know that that's what they were thinking in 2017. Yes, but we don't necessarily think that informs what is going on right now in September of 2022, which, when you think about it, is quite a long time later with with nothing. So I just think that's important for people to remember. And and we're certainly not knocking anybody for for thinking differently or, or having different opinions or saying, hey, you know, I'd like to kind of go through the possibilities, but it's just, that's not what we're doing because uh, that's not journalism. That's, that's, you know, at best, very informed speculation. And one thing we're interested, as we say, we're very, as we say, we're very interested in the investigation. And it seems at least from the outside, that one of the big things going on in the investigation right now is the ongoing search of the Wabash River. Can you speak about that, Anya? As far as we understand it, 
the search began on or around August 18th and is currently today, which is September 21st, 2022, ongoing. So this is a very long search. We're over a month in now. Um, and this is involving the Indiana State Police Dive Team. And um, as we reported when we visited there in August, we saw 12 people you know, on their hands and knees, kind of wading around very shallow water um, in Peru, in the Wabash, uh, appeared to be holding things like poles, shovels, perhaps metal detectors. We reported all that out then. But this has gone on longer than we certainly thought it was going to. We just want to stress how monumental an effort this has been, from the outside at least, because uh, this involves, I mean, I imagine putting the dive team up in a hotel, you know. Uh, Actually, we've heard that. Mm-hmm. We've been given even the name of the hotel they're staring at. Which we're not going to repeat Obviously. here. But, um, uh, but, but it, it's a situation where, uh, you know, they seem to be very focused in certain areas from what we can tell. I can tell you uh, I don't have any experience in terms of any sort of diving or evidentiary recovery. But I imagine that if... Objects are in a river for a long time. They become, you know, warped or rusted or whatnot. So there may be a situation where they have to kind of, and maybe afterwards, piece through everything they found to kind of identify it and see, okay, maybe this is just junk or maybe this is relevant. I imagine that that would be part of a process here. The only background I have that's anything akin to this is I did an archaeology dig one summer and that you had to kind of pick basically anything that could be relevant. You had to bag it, tag it. And the experts would go through later and kind of, you know, analyze it, essentially. So uh, I, I wonder if there's a similar process. This is one area where we would love some help from our audience, because we imagine that you, some of you either are or know people with experience in uh, dive teams, evidentiary recovery, water searches, things like that. And we would love to just pick your brain about you know, what are the hallmarks of such a search? You know, what kind of uh, factors go into planning and, and figuring out what locations are the place where you really want to focus your energy on? Um, you know, what does it mean if a search goes on a long time? Is that uh, something that, you know, is, is you know, how, what, it, what influences that? Because this is not an area where Kevin and I are at all familiar. Yeah, and, and I'll be frank, we're in the process of trying to find an expert that we can interview about it. So we can share that information with all of you. One thing we got from some astute tipsters that we wanted to run down and sort of share with you all is that we heard rumors from people in the area that perhaps uh, Indiana's DNR, a.k.a a.k.a. the Department of Natural Resources, uh, that they may have been involved in somehow reducing the water levels of the Wabash River while the search was ongoing. And and basically, you know, what we saw was a very shallow river. And so people have been talking about that. Perhaps there was some sort of cooperation there from the DNR. Um, so we actually took the liberty of reaching out to them directly. And um, they came back to us pretty quickly saying, you know, they're certainly not aware of any such undertaking was the exact phrasing. So I guess they're saying that maybe it could have been done, but it, it, it sounds like if it was done, it was not with their knowledge. 
So I think we can say that 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 probably wasn't an aspect, and it's possible that the search has benefited from the fact that it it is such a hot summer, and perhaps that's driving the river levels lower than they would be otherwise. And as always, if anyone listening to this has any information that you think is relevant to this, we'd certainly be interested. First of all, you, first of all, you should share it with the police, and if you want to share it with us, we'd be interested in hearing it. If you have information that you'd like to share with us about Logan, the Kleins, or the Delphi case in general, then email murdersheet at gmail.com. We protect our sources. If you need to get in contact with police about this case, email your tip to abbyandlibbytip at C-A-C-O-S-H-R-F dot com or call the tip line at 765-822-3535. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.